straight from WCHL Studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, it's the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show, starring Chris and C.L. Brown. Jumping into the jam today is the Athletic.com senior NBA writer, Michael Lee. Speaking of jam, will some of you tell these Uber and cab drivers that the road isn't their own for exclusive use? How's a girl supposed to do her shopping and all the manny-handy with all these unsightly yellow Lego bricks constantly cutting me off and passing out heart attacks? But I digress. If that's even possible, sitting in park traffic on Fifth Avenue. Let's get into the fast lane right now with sibling rivalry sports. All right, all right, everybody listen up. Today's topic in the McDonald's Barber Shop. Who is the best host of sibling rivalry sports? Go! I wish they had never bought this shop out. I hate those burgers from McDonald's. They taste like sautéed rat. Stay on topic, old man. I think Chris is the best. Boy, I knew those paint chips would come back to haunt you. And the glue fumes. You, you crazy. I'm just saying, he brings the style and the passion. Style? Style? CL got, CL got more style in his pinky toenail than Chris has in his entire spirit man experience. CL got too many facts all the time. And why don't he just use his real name, Cornelius? Why CL? Boy, you're dumber than a box of Mahatma Watermade rice out of the South. His name ain't no Cornelius. You're dumb. If a man wants to call himself C.L. Brown by Google, it's a free country. A man can call himself C.L. Brown. That's why he's the best. What? He, what? He's the best because he, he, the name he made for himself? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Let, let me go find some Jerry talk for you, old man. In the meanwhile, let's get on with the getting. Sibling rivalry sports. C.L. Let's get it. You know, there's coming to America, too, coming out. Is that real? Cause yeah, I've that's seen real. Something. No, that's real. They're starting production on it. With with Eddie? Yeah. And Arsenio. No way. I don't know how many different characters. They got to revamp some of those, right? But well, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. They got to bring them all back. They can't bring them all back. I mean, Wait, when you say revamp, you mean? It's been 30 years. Some of those dudes would have passed away by now. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. They can figure something out. Or they can just place it in time. You know, a few years back. True, true. What you got, Sia? What's going on, man? I, well, first of all, we should say it's time for the big playback. The big payback. The topic for the day, big playback, CL, is this NFL draft, too much hype. All, all I'm saying, CL, is that, look, look, the NFL draft is coming up. Why is it that I get a multitude of notifications all over my stuff about NFL draft this, NFL draft that? I, okay, I'm just going to go ahead. I'm saying, CL, I'm just going to go ahead and give you my take real quick, CL. Listen, I, I believe that there is just too much with the NFL draft, too much emphasis. I understand that in football world, especially now that the AF is gone and in, in, in litigation, I, I, I understand that there there, you know, is somewhat of a lull or what have you, and people are looking for stories. But look at different here here's some of the various drafts that I've seen come across, you know, the the table here. Perfect mock draft, the past mock draft, the pick you need mock draft. 
the aggressive mock draft, the all trades mock draft just came across about twenty minutes ago. The all trades mock draft. What? I, I don't get it. I, I think it's too much. These things aren't accurate. They're not accurate at all. Less than two percent overall accurate. And in the first round, let's just take the top guys that we know about, like Mel Kuypers and the Todd McShays. The best they did in two thousand eighteen, four out of the thirty-two. They got they got right. So it's not like we're talking for exactly right, you mean. Yeah. Uh-huh. But As how many how to- many of the thirty two were first round? Like how many people did they say were first round picks that ended up being first round? Oh gosh, I didn't even look at that, CL, because they're 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 not saying these guys are going to the first round. They're saying this guy's going to this team. Well, I mean, but I would rather look at that second number. Uh, how many actual first rounders did they get right? Because that, to me, is their judgment of talent. What what a right. team. Yeah. It's, it's hard. I mean, it, I wouldn't expect them to know exactly what team is going to get what player once the actual rounds, the names start flying and being announced and movements are made. Because that is fluid. Like, things change. And these teams, I mean, this this is true whether it's the NFL, whether it's the NBA. I don't really know how Major League Baseball, their draft, how much, <laughs> how, <laughs> how much, uh, you know, covert operations right. and things like that are going on. But um, there's there's misinformation put out to throw out other teams. So you, as a reporter, you're you're gonna try and go with what you think might be true but it's it's a cat and mouse game i mean you know um a lot of times there is this a team kind of hinting that they're gonna go one way may even say it outright to you off the record or however and then they make a u-turn and go a different direction so um i do think that that at some point, this the draft has to jump the shark because it's really the biggest non-actual sporting event in sports, you know. Um, but it, at some point, people need to get lives, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I think, but I think that's part of my point, and I want to be clear. I'm not. I'm actually not going at people's knowledge of talent because I think these guys know, know talent. That's why Mike Mayock is now the general manager um, out in Oakland. I mean, I think, you know, I, I really enjoyed listening to Mike Mayock, to be honest with you, and his evaluation. I like Daniel Jer- Jeremiah, his evaluation, Todd McShay, Mel Kuyper. I like all those guys. And, and, and women, too. Oh, by the way, Seal, speaking of women, I'm going to just go out there on a limb. I believe that if we were talking about the insider information stuff, like you're talking about the cat and mouse, mm-hmm. I'm going to go on out there on a limb and say that our first guest ever, Josina Anderson, if she felt the need to put together a mock draft, it would blow those guys up. That's just me. That's just me. I believe she would be far more accurate. But see, I'm, but what what we're doing here is they 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 I don't think they're going for. The first round, that's my opinion. I think they're saying this is who this team's going to pick or this is who a great pick for this team would be or whatever. And I just think, okay, there's so much of that. It's overdone. We're inundated. It's just too much. Can we? Is there anything like you know, like Curtis Blow says, can, is, is there any, can you talk about something else? You know what I'm saying. Well, I mean, I think you're focused too. You're being too hard <laughs> on them. Whoa! Like, I, I think when I look at a mock draft, I'm not thinking this is exactly how it's going to go down. Uh, outside of like maybe the top three picks or something like that. Three, three in any given year that might fluctuate, but 
need might be so great for some of these teams and the players available so great um, that stuff just falls into place. But it's it's impossible. I mean, it's this is it's a lottery. Like it's impossible to predict exactly. And you should. I mean, why would you even go into it thinking that that they're going to get it exactly right? Excellent point, CL, which leads me to my next thought. Aha. So, CL. So I once was, as you know, I was writing for a Baltimore Ravens covered site one time. And and the, the site, the, the guys, all the writers from all over the teams, they, they decided to do a mock draft. OK, so we came into it thinking, all right, let's. Because we're not thinking about accuracy, let's go for just a pick that would be kind of an unorthodox pick that maybe nobody would, but we think would be a great pick for where the team is right now. And it also would say something about what we thought. So, you know, uh, we took Ryan Switzer, wide receiver, North Carolina. Oh, you would think that I cursed people's grandmothers, um, that I blew up somebody's car. I mean, they were so they were so upset. But when we get to it, I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait, guys, we're not going for accuracy. We're not going to be accurate. We're not going to be accurate. It's just, you know, we're we're pretty much having fun here and we're making picks. I don't think that's super inaccurate. And by the way. He's outplaying some of the other receivers that they were claiming were so awesome. Switch is still doing it, and some of these cats aren't. Well, I mean, the problem to me with that would be he's he wasn't a first-rounder. And so if you're – even though you're not worried about trying to be accurate, you're not thinking that, okay, I'm going to get this pick exactly right – you still got to be in the realm of this could possibly happen. He was not going to be a first rounder. Like <laughs> that's where people he would if I was GM. That's where people got upset. I'm assuming because I I don't want to act like I'm relating to some of these people online that get upset and fly <laughs> off the handle over stuff. But um, that that's it. I mean, you, yes, it's not going to be totally accurate. But that's why I was asking initially. With the with the predictions, how many actual first rounds, first round talents did these guys predict? That to me would say, okay, this is an expert predicting predicting these uh, mock drafts, or this is just somebody, you know, somebody with no real connections or no somebody just going off of what they see or whatever. What's interesting again, see, you're, you're hitting on it again today. Listen, what's interesting about that, you know, somebody just kind of going off whatever. In the last five years, um, Mel Kuyper, you know, who is everybody points to as the top guy, and he's, he's, he knows his stuff. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't. Mel Kuyper ranks fourth amongst, you know, people on a larger scope who do the mock drafts. And, and the top three guys are not guys on, who are on really a national platform. They're, they're, dare I say, they're not necessarily guys that uh, a lot of people they? have heard about. Okay, do you know Jason Boris? Well, not, not do you know who, but Jason Boris of Times News, Robbie Esch of The Huddle Report, and Al Franzak of East Coast Sports News. Can't say I know any of those names. Doesn't ring a bell, but those... <laughs> Where did you get that from, though? Like that they that they are have had the most accurate drafts. Where who who reported that? Provided by the Huddle Report, they do a lot of stats with regards to the draft. So interesting stuff. But anyway, anyway, well let's let's move on to 
I would dare I say, Seal, even more interesting stuff, and that is our first guest. Seal, why don't you take it take it out to me? Uh, well, we're going to come back with uh, Mr. Michael Lee, uh, a colleague of mine at The Athletic. He's a senior NBA writer to talk a little bit about what's going on in round ball. We kind of neglected it for a little bit while college was True. still going on. But, uh now Now's the time with the playoffs, so... We're coming right back with that. Please uh, stay with us and come back on the other side. Sibling Rivalry Show on 97.9 The Hill. Yes, yes, y'all. If you don't stop to the beat, y'all. If you don't stop. Yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show on 97.9 The Hill. Joining us tonight to break down the NBA playoffs my colleague at The Athletic, a senior NBA writer, and probably the most important title to me is my fraternity brother, another distinguished man of Cap Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. <laughs> Welcome, Mr. Michael Lee. How you doing, man? Lee, Mike Lee. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing, man? Hey, you, you, we we going to tell, tell them the story? Nah, nah, they're not ready for the story. <laughs> oh, really? So there's a story. They're not ready for the story. After the interview, stay on the line, please, Mike. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Mike, uh, we were so, uh, we're just kind of chopping it up beforehand, talking about uh, Magic Johnson. And have you ever seen kind of an unceremonious end to such a great player who's been associated with the organization, you know, as long as he has. Um, uh, what <laughs> what do you make of just how, how his tenure came to an end as the president of the Lakers? Well, I mean, you know, when Magic took the job, you know, my, my initial concern was that he wasn't going to enjoy it and that it wasn't going to be for him because I don't think a lot of guys understand what the responsibility of being a general manager is. And for a guy like Magic Johnson, who is great at being Magic Johnson, um, it's different when you have to, you know, take on the scrutiny and the 80-hour-a-week workload that comes from being a general manager, you know, from having to go to small gyms, high school gyms, college gyms, international um, gyms, you know, where it's not always you, you do a lot of grunt work. And I think Magic sort of thought he could just be the smiling face of the Lakers and he could just charm people, you know, by being Magic. But, you know, people look at him as Irvin, you know, in this, in this role. <laughs> and you kind of have to humble yourself um, to that. And I don't think Magic could ever really do that because he's a boss. You know, he's a guy that's worth close to a billion dollars. You know, he's got all these, you know, um, in business deals, you know, He's got all, all this stuff going on that this what this could not be something he could fully commit to. And I was really surprised when they hired Rob Palenka as his um, you know under, underling because he had no experience running the front office either. So you had one guy who's all about L.A. Flash and another guy who was an agent who didn't always have the best relationships with opposing agents and mm-hmm. uh, executives uh, based on how he did a lot of his business. So the Lakers were really kind of up against it uh, just from the jump. So when he stepped away, I was going to like, first I was like, wait, he didn't, he just announced it like in a press conference. <laughs> I'm out. going to do it like that. But then I'm like, you know, knowing who Magic is, that probably was the best way for him to do it because for one, it allowed him to just sort of 
reflects, you know, his power and his control of the situation. Because if he had told, you know, say, Jenny uh, Buss or anybody else that I'm stepping down today, that thing would have been leaked to 15 different outlets yeah. before he had a chance to have a press conference. And I don't think he wanted that to happen. I think he wanted to just declare to everybody, I'm out. And he handled it the way Maddie Johnson would handle it. Because after he, you know, made his announcement, he was like a politician, you know, walking through there kissing babies. I mean, he was shaking hands, doing one-on-one interviews. I mean, they say he talked for like an hour, you know, after after he made his uh, announcement. And that's sort of the match thing. Like, he wants people to feel good in his presence. He wants people to to feel like... I was with Magic Johnson and, and, and have that, that, that magical feeling that, that comes from just a guy who can charm people with a smile. Yeah, that, that post uh, that post interview, uh, you know, I saw him uh, like asking, he's like, I want a hug. Like, give me a hug now. It made me think of Martin Lawrence and Boomerang when, <laughs> when, <laughs> when they had yeah. their rift and he was like, well, give me a hug I then. A hug. <laughs> a hug. Exactly. And that, that's what it was. I mean, that's magic. I mean, he, he, he didn't he didn't want to be hated, you know, and he definitely didn't want fans who, and, and you know, it's hard, like for me, Magic is my favorite basketball player of all time. I love Magic. Mm-hmm. And they always say, like, you know, you're, 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 the GOAT to you is always going to be the one that made you love the game. Magic made me love basketball. Oh, so wow. I, I can kind of see, like, that how, how this was going to be tough. He didn't really do well as a coach. You know, he lasted 16 games there quit because you know players were like using their cell phones in the locker room or whatever and he just like or beep, beepers yeah yeah and, stuff. <laughs> and so he got upset with that and you know he his uh his tv show like everyone had a tv show was, like the magic TV hour it was awful, it was awful. <laughs> it was magic, like, but see a lot a lot of times magic thinks that he can just step in the room and be magic and, and it's just gonna happen yeah. and it's not gonna happen because you can't just be magic and then try to trade for Anthony Davis. Like, they're not just going to give it to you because you're magic. Like, mm-hmm. you can't just walk into a free agent, you know, and, and say, hey, man, I'm Magic Johnson, and then just all of a sudden have everybody, you know, wanting to come play with you. This um, is this total total conjecture, but if that Anthony Davis, if he was able to get Anthony Davis, since Anthony Davis made it known he, you know, was done in New Orleans, and what if, if the Pelicans were just like, all right, well, we got to get something out of out of it. Um, if that deal goes through, do you think Magic is still in place right now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they would have made the playoffs, and um, they would have had their foundational superstar to carry them for the future. You yeah. know, cause with this uh, LeBron, you know, he's 34. You know, Anthony Davis is 25, so or 26, so this is a guy that's going to wind up being the face of your organization for a long time and you got him in the house so you got exactly what you need a foundational star a big man who can carry you and so I think you would definitely be because he, he'd be magic everybody would love him <laughs> yeah. he pulls yeah. out that deal everybody loves him but the fact that he didn't pull out that deal and it, and it fractured the whole locker room and caused them to miss the playoffs and have a, a huge failure uh, he was criticized for how that was handled and everything so yeah if he pulls that off He's, he's like, this is magic getting it done. But since he didn't, he's a failure. And he didn't want to feel that way because he, he's been a success away from basketball. And everything, pretty much. Yeah. And like now he's dipped into it and it's like, wow, man, I ain't got to put up with this. That's magic <laughs> Johnson. 
Well, Michael, now, so shifting gears a little bit, I, I, I want to ask you about Milwaukee. But before I do that, I'm dying to ask you this in light of something I saw on your Twitter feed uh, at Mr. Michael Lee on Twitter. And, and you said that you're a former hip hop fan. Now, before you know, you, you no, tell no, no, us. No, 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 no wait. wait I, I want I, you to. I just want to get <laughs> before you tell us what you're talking about. Don't I, misquote I, me. Don't misquote me. Oh, no. Did I misquote you? What, what is it? Yes. Yeah. Used to be a hip hop yeah. fan? Used to be. Nope. I, I, I used to love hip hop. Used to love hip hop. Okay, now before you tell us exactly what that is, I, I would like to re- get your response to this little track coming from Curtis Blow. Um, I, I was thinking that it might resonate with you. Come for Curtis Blow in in nineteen, I think eighty three. All right. All right. Now the next little item that I want to discuss is about the sucker rappers that must be smoking dust. When you make the kind of records that diss females, fronting on a story when it's just a tall tale, to diss a female is a lowdown shame. But you suckers make the records because you want to get fame. All you radio cats don't play that crap. Can't you see they're messing up all in the name of rap? Now all these years, rapper, rappers work so hard to give rapping the name and all you rappers a job. But now your peasy head b-boys get me upset when you diss around and cut and then you just defect don't don't forget latoya and the real rock sand can't you think of something else you know what i'm saying classic classic line right there uh but all you ms but all you mcs just keep on illing that's okay because i'm chilling your response sir i love it (laughs) i love it and, 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 and I'm, I'm going to explain my, my comment that I said I used to love, well, I used to love hip-hop. So it kind of references the, the whole comment, you know, I used to love her. Yeah. Uh, but it also um, it sort of references Houdini when, yes. you know, um, it said the word love and life both have four letters, but they're two different things all together. Mm-hmm. Because I've liked many women in my day that just like the women. They all blew it away. Yeah. So... <laughs> But to love someone is the atmosphere that you both feel shit. When you want that, there's no real way it could be explained. <laughs> I, I could do the whole thing, but you know where I'm going. Yeah. When it comes to hip hop, I used to love it. I used to love it. Uh-huh. So that meant that when CDs came out on Tuesdays, I would be at the record store just buying everything. Man, listen, I'm I'm right with you on that. And I love I love what I was what I would take home, and I would listen to the whole CD. I pull out, I read the liner notes, I check out the inside art. You know, and I would just consume it, and then mm-hmm. I would sit there and listen to the lyrics, and they would just, it would just take me someplace. And that's that's when I had that love, but I, I didn't know if it was because I, that's where I was as a as a young man, and just that's where my head was, and I didn't have other responsibilities, I didn't have a wife, I didn't have a son, I didn't have all these other things consuming me. So mm-hmm. there was a love for music, and the music actually gave me a reason to love it. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older, the music wasn't for me. So I didn't connect to it. Mm-hmm. So now I'm in a state where I like hip hop, mm-hmm. but I don't love it. Right. Yeah. So I don't I don't rush to buy it if it comes out. If somebody tells me a new album dropped, um, I'll, I'll wait to see what they think of it first, and then if they tell me it's good, I'll go listen to it. But I'm not going to rush to go get it. Um, there's only a few artists who I even like would just listen to without a recommendation. So it's just it's just where I am, just as a as a as a man. And just where I am as a music fan, mm-hmm. where one, I realize that this generation of hip hop is not necessarily targeting me. Um, I can't really feel them like the they aren't, they aren't the inspirational or uplifting message right. that I felt I needed to carry me. Yeah. It wasn't the educational yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. And now it's just all about 
guys just getting high and partying. Yeah. And I'm definitely not in that place. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, I'm in a different place. And so um, that that's where I am when it comes to the music. Like, I, I like it. I can listen to it in the car and bob my head and say that's cool. But I don't have to, you know, sit at home and have it blasting because I'm just I'm just not in that place anymore. That, yeah, that's why I thought it would resonate with you. I mean, I was just I was recently oh, yeah, been listening good. to Kurt Chill and and that message right there. I, I heard that. I was like, man, that that would fly right now today. Yeah, but of course nobody wants to listen to that because <laughs> everybody just wants to have a good time and not think about the real. True. Yeah. True. Well, let's uh, reel it back to to the playoffs and Golden State giving up a 31-point lead at home to lose Game 2 to the Clippers. Um, they play again Game 3 at L.A. tonight uh, at 10.30. So <clears throat> is this just a blip? I mean, it's Golden State come, sometimes just get bored with themselves, and, and you know, they, they're up 31. So at that point, you just start taking the game lightly. Uh, allowing kind of allowing Clippers the Clippers room for that comeback, or do you look deeper? Like you know, Buggy uh, Boogie Cousins' injury during that game was that like a deflating point for them, and and w- did they kind of check out mentally after that, and and that's what allowed the comeback? How how do you kind of assess that game too, and will we see carry over from that in uh, in Game Three? Yeah, I have a hard time blaming that loss on uh, losing to Marcus Cousins. Because at the time, I think they were up like six points in the first quarter or whatever. They wound up building up a 31-point lead. So, if anything, I think maybe him going down would have inspired them to come out, you know, guns blazing, which they did. And they built a huge lead. Um, I think one of the issues that they confronted is what every team that faces the Clippers has confronted all year. It's the Clippers. And nobody takes them seriously. <laughs> they don't have an all-star. They don't have you know, future Hall of Famers all over the place. So it's like, why we're up 31, man. You know, so as they were coming back, it was almost cute. You know, oh, look at these little guys <laughs> playing hard. Oh, look at y'all. That's special. And, you know, Lou Williams is like, oh, y'all going to let me take this, man? Yo, you know, I'm, I'm going to take it, you know. And he just kept coming at it. And Montrez Harrell, you know, was just rim running. And, and so everybody – just sort of fed in, and, and the Clippers are sitting here believing, like, yo, man, we can take this game. And they got Doc Rivers on the bench getting, it got them fired up, like, yo, man, we about to take this game. And the, you know, the, the, the Warriors are just like, man, we don't have to sweat this, man, we got this. And um, it's almost like the tortoise and the hare, you know, that old classic tale where, you know, the, the, the hare just kind of just sits there and never takes seriously that, that the tortoise is going to get to the finish line, and they get there, it's like, oh, snap, I got to. Uh, I got to turn it on now, but you turned it off, so turn the volume all the way down so so much that you don't have anything to uh, to turn it back up. And that's what happened with the Warriors. They, they just got caught slipping, and um, I don't think it'll happen again the rest of the series. Um, I think it was a great win. It says a lot about the the Clippers. But their game to me, everyone makes it making it about the Warriors and what it says about them. I don't know. If it says anything more than like nobody's afraid of them anymore. Um, hmm. But I think more than anything, it just tells me that the Clippers are a team that I've been recognizing as a dangerous team for a long time. Um, but maybe the Warriors just needed to get popped in the popped in the mouth a bit to understand that they got an opponent that just won't die. 
Oh, yeah. Well, we only have time for one more question, so uh, I'll leave it at this. What what series do you feel like um, is the best right now uh, in this first round of the playoffs? Which which one are you kind of keeping an eye on as as you know uh, the winner could do big things, or or the higher seed is is ripe for an upset? Um, well, the one series I think is going to probably go a long way. Uh, it's going to be this Denver-San Antonio series. Um, I think it's going to be fun to see, you know, the veteran team versus the young upstart, you know, and but have their positions flip where the veteran team is a lower seed and the upstart is a higher seed. Um, I think the first two games have been pretty entertaining, and, um, and the Nuggets really showed a lot in game two uh, just with Jamal Murray going off. So that's the one series I think that, that stands out to me. Um, the other one that I've, I've enjoyed watching just from just the, the edginess, chippiness of it is just this uh, Oklahoma City-Portland series. Before mm-hmm. it even began, um, all in the regular season, Damian Lillard and um, Russell Westbrook had some words, and they exchanged some words. And ever since then, Damian's just been giving the Thunder Dame's business. Damian's been killing him. Yeah. Been winning, but he's been killing him. And then in the, the last, uh, the first two games of the series, he's just been taking it straight to Russ. And uh, in game two, he was just gloating with the fact that he had the upper hand and that Russ couldn't get anything going. And, you know, Russ has a lot of pride. And he's a guy who, since Kevin Durant left, has not won a playoff series. There's a lot of uh, pressure and a lot of scrutiny on that team to kind of do better. And uh, so I'm interested to see what happens because I wonder if there'll be some fallout, if there'll be a need for a coaching change or anything else, if they somehow aren't able to get out of the first round despite having Paul George and, um, and Russell Westbrook. So I think the Western Conference series are the ones that stand out to me as, as the most compelling um, just because the personalities and, and what's at stake. And as you know that whoever wins, you know, first round, kind of they can have a chance to make a deep run. No doubt, no doubt. All right. Well, there we have it, folks. Uh, so proud to have senior NBA writer for TheAthletic.com, Mr. Michael Lee. That's his, that's his Twitter handle as well, at Mr. Michael Lee. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for just coming and chipping in and giving us an inside look. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. And uh, I, I'll, I'll be in uh, Carolina uh, later on this summer, maybe help y'all around. Maybe y'all around. Okay. Oh, yeah, oh, to come gotta, through, man. Yeah, you got to come <laughs> into this and more than just being around. Yeah, man. No you got to come in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when I, when I go there, I usually go to uh, USC and, and go to timeout and get one of them chicken sandwiches. <laughs> you know what? You just probably earned yourself a free one. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Let's set that up. Michael Lee, everybody. Thank you, Michael. All right. Thank you. Take Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill, where we always chill. I'll tell you who's chilling right now. Your Tiger Woods. Folks, Tiger Woods, I got to say, CL last week was saying, hey, we should, uh, we should talk about Tiger Woods some. We should talk about this upcoming weekend and everything in the tournament. and We should talk about that. And, and I was like, nah, we, I don't know. <laughs> What's wrong? Well, I mean, I didn't predict he was going to win necessarily, or else I would have tried to be like that dude who won a million in Vegas betting on uh, Tiger Woods. But, <laughs> you know, I, I the thing about it is no matter how old 
he's got what is he forty three now, mm-hmm. and and I know he's had all the injuries and stuff to go along with just kind of his his uh, the personal valley he was in. But um, man, when I, I feel like you can't underestimate greatness. You know what I'm saying? Like I always mm-hmm. felt like he was gonna win. It was just a matter of time of of when it was gonna happen. And uh, the only if I had was if if he can sustain it for multiple, you know, so that he could actually make a run, um, continue to climb and, and possibly tie Jack Nicholas record of, of 18 majors. But I knew he was going to do it at some point. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Uh, see, uh, let me ask you, though, it's. It's interesting because I'm sure that people would look at, you know, his age, his point in his career and say that they felt like it was more unlikely. But it seems like these days that age bar is getting raised a little bit. It reminded me of AP for the Redskins, Adrian Peterson running back, who had a thousand yards rushing for the Redskins at age 34. Now, running back, you're supposed to be, it's over at 30 is what is supposedly hmm. is happening. Especially somebody who's got as many carries as he had. He, he, people ride him like a horse, if I can use that. He just carries the ball, carries the ball, carries the ball. Yet last year he had, what, what, what was it, like an 80 yard touchdown run? And on that run, that long touchdown run that he had, nobody was catching him. Forget about that. And, he, you know, I think we're seeing a, a phenomenon here, CL. Well, I think some of that goes to just the way, uh, I mean, recovery has advanced in terms of, you know, uh, people taking better care of their bodies after their competition and they're able to bounce back faster. And I guess long term, uh, that means they're able to kind of stay, to keep your horsing analogy, stay in the saddle longer. Um and I also think, I mean, I was I was at a, a basketball summit, summit thrown by, uh, put together by Dr. Deborah Stroman uh, uh, last weekend at North Carolina Central, where, you know, we had a couple people on a panel who um, they're in basically prevention analytics, where you know they use information um, uh, and and crunch numbers and and try to help athletes actually not even get in a situation where. Uh, you know they're going to be vulnerable to certain injuries. So, with with all of those things kind of going into it, and plus I feel like just in terms of of conditioning, we're better now. With a lot of kids that I see coming out uh, of high school basketball, they've been working for with personal trainers for a long time. So mm-hmm. you know they're they're not only more skilled on the court, they're usually better in better physical shape. Mm-hmm. Um, they always need more strength, you know, going from 18 or whatever, 17 to 18 or whatever, uh, kind of to grow into a an adult body. But True. Um, it's it's there are a lot of advances that that I feel like are, are allowing us to be better as we're older now. It's very interesting. You know, me, me, CL, I'll point back to the biblical days and say, we used to be old, <laughs> and it stopped. But, hey, maybe we're going back there. I mean, think about, ladies and gentlemen, listening audience, think about your Super Bowl champion right now, your quarterback, your Super Bowl champion. I think a bunch of people just threw their, their listening devices. But Tom Brady, 41 years old, a champion at 41. If you don't want to think about him, think about Drew Brees, the one that many said should have been in that championship game. He's 40. And not looking at all like he's slowing down. Breeze is awesome still. 
I will throw out some names to you to to counter that though, because I th- I, th- I just think now there are more people and players who can you know who stay in their game in their respective fields longer and are and are able to still have a high level, but. Um, it depends on where where would you put Michael Jordan? Would he be in the today's category or would he be counted in the past? Because he averaged 20 points a game his final year when he was 40, when he retired uh, back in 2003. And and I guess uh, this week was the 16th anniversary of that, that yeah. last game he played. Um Kareem Abdul-Jabbar went until he was 42. I, I know some of that had to do with finances because <laughs> I think <laughs> wow. uh, I forgot whether it was a former agent or somebody, former money manager, basically like uh, stole money from him or, or made bad investments or yes. something. He lost a bunch of money. So he was he was, he was was definitely a shell of himself um, his final season. Uh, but he still he played NBA till 42, and 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 since we started with Tiger, Jack Nicholas, he won a major. He won the Masters, matter of fact, in '86 at uh, the age of 46. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not it. It's. I think it's more prevalent now That's for guys to, yeah. to last longer, but it's it's not totally, totally wasn't totally out of yeah. You're right. You're right. Now, question real quick, Jordan, how many games did he play that year? Um, that's a good question. I don't. I don't know off top. I mean, do you think that he played like more than half, or I have the impression that I he feel wasn't. like he did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He didn't. That was his problem because um, when he was with the Wizards uh, and and uh, Doug Collins was coaching and stuff, mm-hmm. I remember the not his last year, but the year before it. They had a chance of, of making the playoffs, and so he pushed himself to play in more games than he should have, where the plan was coming into the season, mm-hmm. we're going to rest Michael, he's not going to play every game, blah, 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 but his competitive nature kicked in, and he was trying to be out there every every possible minute, and his body was just like, nah, bro. <laughs> no, we can't do that anymore. All right. Well, hopefully, folks, you're not saying, nah, bruh. But folks, hopefully you're saying, yeah, bruh, and you're going to listen to our sponsors and then come on back for the brownout next here on Sibling Rivalry Sports 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. It's time for the brownout. The brownout. Carolina Hurricanes forward Andrei Shvetsnikov got knocked out after challenging Washington's Alex Ovechkin to a fight in Game 3 of their series. Is it time to eliminate fighting in hockey? What say you, CL? I'd say it's been past time. I think Olympic hockey tends to be some of the most entertaining uh, hockey that is played, and a lot of people tune into it when when it happens. And I think the NHL would would do a lot better. I mean, I'm not sure that the sport, how much the sport can grow at this point um, in mainstream, uh, in the mainstream sports in interest in the U.S., but I think that would be a small step to take to go forward in that respect. CL, the only fight in hockey needs to be the fight out in the parking lot between me and Tom Dundon for what he did to the AAF. Next question! <laughs> The NFL released its schedule for next season, and it includes the Carolina Panthers traveling to London to face Tampa Bay. Is it still worth trying to grow American football in Europe? Man, the NFL, come on now. Come on now. 
it's not taking off. I mean, we saw NFL Europe. They've they've done these kind of things in the past. Nobody cares over there. Nobody cares, and nobody's going to care. It, this is an American deal, and we just need to accept that and and move on. <laughs> CL, try not to. All right, look, CL. So first of all, we both been over there. You've been over there more than I have, but I did go more recently. And I must say, when I went, my wife and I, the Scotland, you know, we ran into a couple. You know, I always wear jerseys. A couple of NFL fans that were versed, they knew what they were talking about. You know, over there in the United Kingdom. The other thing is, I know someone who goes to those games, uh, a Ravens fan. Her name's Tracy, and she uh, talks it up. I mean, you know, I think it's their chance to go to a game. I mean, is the stadium full? No, but is it empty? No. It, and is San Diego, who has a home game over there, is that going to be more than they get? I'm sorry, at Los Angeles Chargers. <laughs> is that going to be more than they Yes, it's going to be more than they get. So I think let's keep going. UNC completed its spring football practice. What's your biggest takeaway from watching? I'll let you take this last question all by yourself. Well, thank you. I didn't watch it, so. Okay, fair enough. Oh, by the way, I I wanted to correct myself, too. Uh, The Los Angeles Chargers are playing in Mexico, Ciudad de Mexico. So that's going to be like five times. Yeah, that's a big difference. Yes. Okay, so spring football game takeaway, the quarterbacks. I was very, very impressed with the quarterback play. Um, Jace Reuter's not just going to go off quietly into the night. That boy had some solid quarterback play. And, of course, you know, the most exciting play, I think, was when Sam Howell threw that 40-plus yards beautiful rainbow touchdown pass. That was beautiful, and that was a, a sign of the future, I think, CL. And also props to Mac Brown for getting that on ESPN, you know, the ESPN Networks. Okay, so (laughs) CL's good with it, and we are good with you. Thank you for tuning in. Please come on back next time. We're going to keep doing it big. My name is Chris Brown. I'm CL Brown. And this is Sibling Sibling Rivalry Rivalry Sports Sports. on 97.9 The Hill.